Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to The Shift, the podcast that aims to tell the no-holds-barred truth about being a woman post-40. Created and hosted by me, writer and broadcaster, Sam Baker. My guest today has packed a hell of a lot into her 43 years. Dawn O'Porter started her career in TV production before finding her way in front of the camera to host a series of attention-grabbing documentaries on everything from polygamy to dirty dancing. By the time she hit her 30s, like many women, Dawn was moving faster and faster just to stand still. By the time she was married to the actor Chris O'Dowd with the first of her two sons, running a vintage fashion label and the refugee charity now known as Choose Love, and writing books, it dawned on her that something had to give. In this case, that was Dawn herself. She's now a full-time author of eight books, including the Richard and Judy pick, So Lucky, and her latest, Cat Lady. A funny and frank look at the boxes we squeeze ourselves into in order to fit other people's expectations. And, you know, three little injections around my eyes. And suddenly I was like, oh, I just got the last year back. Not trying to look 30. I just want to look 42. Dawn joined me from her home in LA to discuss the cats in the bedroom conundrum. What she learned from launching and losing a business. Why the need to be liked is exhausting. How ageing helped her recognise her own value. And why she'll never stop advocating for caftans. Right, I'm just, I'm a bit nervous of my mic and whether I just abandon it because it's, um... It's flops, <laughs> unless it's unless it's quite high up. It's got performance it's, issues. It's got over forty performance issues. That's probably okay. It just droops. <laughs> I was slightly hoping you were going to be wearing your cat lady sweater. Oh, I would be if it wasn't so hot. Oh yeah, you've just said it's hundred degrees. That would be. It'd be great if you were here, but not so much there. No, I know, but I've been ordering like just trawling the internet for any clothes with cats on for my upcoming book tour. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> becoming a problem. I bought this whole like pyjama set, like, you know, how just wearing pyjamas out and it, it's just cat faces all over it. And I wore it out the other night. My husband was like, I just, I just think maybe this is, this is the one that took it to the other level. <laughs> Reel it in. <laughs> my husband generally loves and massively supports what I wear he can he can throw some patterns out as well so it's hardly a one-sided we're all and my my kid my eldest kid is um is the same he likes to express himself through what he wears so I blend in quite well with my family (laughs) I was listening to an interview with you earlier where you said you were happily on track to be a single cat lady who wrote books in bed so what happened I met my husband And that's it. I just visualized my life. I was the kind of person that if I wasn't in love with somebody, I didn't necessarily imagine myself being in love with somebody. I was very content as a single person. And then I would meet a guy and fall head over heels and just obsess about being with them for the rest of my life. So when I wasn't in love with somebody, I I visualized my future very much as a single person with a cat, you know, 24 hours a day at my disposal to write books. It just seemed rather wonderful. (laughs) 
<laughs> and then <laughs> and then as I said I met my husband and suddenly that that story changes and you know I went down that path and now I have two children and a husband two cats but I have it all which is very nice I have to say I've kind of lost track of the cat and dog situation in the O Porter household two pets of quite a long time died in 2020 and 21 our dog and our cat and then I got two new cats in 2021 Myrtle and Boo and then last week we got two puppies I mean I we love animals we love animals and I think when you've really made that decision that you're not going to have any more kids you start like just overdoing it on the animals and we are absolutely at that point where we're just I, I mean I could honestly I could take in another six dogs and another 20 cats I just had now have to be very strong <laughs> with myself and stop this because my my house is just covered in little yellow circles of dog pee at the moment because potty training is nice. going really badly yeah. but um but I think when you potty train two children then we're not particularly precious about things so um yeah that's that's the situation with pets in our house at the moment it's very busy and we've all got we're all in pairs so Chris and I two boys two cats two dogs everyone's got someone I mean, I loved so much about Cat Lady, but I really loved the kind of Tristan, who is Mia's husband. Yeah. We'll talk about Mia in a minute. I really loved his cat phobia. So do the cats, do they sleep in the bed? Do they come in the bedroom? They do. There's a little bit of resistance at the moment because um, the dogs are in there. Oh, I'm I'm animals in the bed, animals on the floor around the bed. Everyone just get in the bed. That's very much the vibe in our bedroom. Um, But when I first got together with Chris... My beloved Siamese cat, who is really the reason why I wrote Cat Lady, because she was, you know, my life until I had children. I think the series of events was that Chris stayed the night for the first time. And the next night he came back again because I'm so fucking awesome in bed. Yeah. <laughs> I just couldn't get couldn't enough, get enough of my hot yeah. body. And... um my cat, when we got home from dinner, had puked on his side of the bed that he'd slept on. She had never done this in I love cats. her life. She'd never done this in her life. It was such a like an obvious protest puke. And Chris was absolutely horrified by this, obviously, because he, um, you know, with anybody else's cat or kid, their puke or poo is just gross. When it's your own, you kind of just have this resilience to it. Yeah, you just clear you just it clear up, it up don't and don't really you? notice it. But for him, who'd never really had a cat, to suddenly come round to his new, um, I don't, I wouldn't say girlfriend at that point, lover's house, and for the, her cat to have puked on the bed, he just thought this was disgusting. So I had to put the cat out of the um, out of the bedroom, which because she was Siamese, she at about five o'clock in the morning, just started howling oh, outside the bedroom. And it was scratching yes, and howling. And she, like, oh, she couldn't God. be without me. And I honestly didn't ever want to be without her. So it was this moment of, what am I going to do? I really like this guy. And as Chris and I got more and more serious, luckily him and the cat worked out and he ended up being obsessed with this cat and absolutely loved her. But I always held on to that bit at the beginning and just imagining what my life would have been like if the partner that I chose and the cat, who was my first child, didn't get on. And it wasn't hard to imagine because I know a lot of people who are actually in that situation with people who have existing pets when they get into a relationship. And it's it must be hard. So I feel very lucky that in the end they worked it out. It would have been a tough call if you had to choose. Well, I just think a relationship wouldn't have worked out. Well, no, like in the book, but... so Mia has ended up in a separate room, doesn't sleep with her husband because he won't let the cat sleep in the room. And so she just took the other room. And that was their solution. But it seems completely fair. It seems completely fair, but it's also probably not ideal for the marriage. They they could have done with a little bit more intimacy. So um, would that have been me and Chris? Would I have taken the spare room with the cat? Probably. 
(laughs) (laughs) The themes that come through in your books about stereotypes and kind of forcing yourself into boxes to fit other people's uh, ideas of who you should be or the way that you should live. And Mia's that, you know, she's trying to be a wife, she's trying to be a stepmother, she's trying to be a CEO. And in all those cases, she's trying to be someone else to keep it going. Where did she come from for you? It's a really nice question because there's a lot of things that I can relate to with her. That mm. phrase, always write what you know, was really important in the start of my career. And I really, I really did. I like my first paper airplanes and goose is very much centered around my life. The cows, there was so much of me in all of those characters so lucky with um I wrote a character called Ruby who really wasn't me at all and then by the time I got to Mia I am fully creating this person but I do think that there are lots of women and I know lots of women who question that they're living the right life that they should be living and I just think that is such a fascinating quandary to be in and what do you do because There's two situations from these conversations that I've had with my pals who are in this situation. Life's too short. Don't rock the boat. Just keep plodding along and have a nice time. Or be explosive. Turn everything on its head. Get out of the relationship. Quit your job. Take massive risks and live the life that you are passionate about. And... What is the right answer there? Because, you know, taking massive risks can backfire. Um, Staying in the safe situation can become really depressing. And I didn't really know what the answer was. In terms of Mia, I didn't necessarily want her to make that to make that decision off the off. So I wanted things to happen to her that forced her into looking at her life, you know, from a different angle and working out what was best for Mm. her. Um, So honestly, with her, the way that I put that character together was a lot of conversations with friends, a lot of I discovered Reddit. I mean, I know everybody knows about Reddit, but... Oh, down the wormhole you go. Yeah, It's so good when you put in, you know, you literally type something in like, I feel like I'm living somebody else's life. And you just get this unbelievable ocean of material. And so I went heavily into the internet. So funny when I think about the internet, you know, you read these stories that women have posted about themselves. And I can't remember what articles I read or whatever that put this character together. But I'm just like, God, these women have inspired this whole character. And that's when you realize the importance of sharing your story and how other people, you know, take Mm. what you said and apply it to themselves or the advice that they give to other people or, you know, put it into a novel. But um, yeah, I I really, I really trawled for character stuff with Mia about people who felt they were living the wrong life. A couple of minutes ago, you said about, you know, what do you do? Do you just carry on plodding on and plodding on? Or do you kind of put a rocket under it and just, you know, blow everything up? One of the things that's been really interesting to me since I started doing this podcast is the number of women who get into their 40s, late 40s, 50s, and yeah. they do blow it all up. I know. It's almost like you're at the halfway mark and, and you would presume that you've got the same again. And how do you want that to look? You see it like so many mm. people get divorced in their 40s, don't they? So many people make such yeah, huge no. decisions in their 40s. It's a real like quit your job and start an Etsy business type decade (laughs) and um and I think because you've learned so much and you've got to the point if you've had kids especially there is a stillness whether you've got toddlers or not young kids like I have there is a stillness of who am I now and life can often feel when you've had kids like everything was gearing up to that moment and then it snaps something changes life has changed forever can you be the person that you were before do you even want to be the person that you were before and what changes can you make but hopefully your personal life is is the right one for you but a lot of women have um, 
discover they don't love their jobs. They don't want to work that much. They don't like having bosses. They just feel more in control. This need to stop striving can happen in this decade. And that means you shed a lot of things. It's partly to do with like the way that we define ambition, isn't it? It's like there are rules about the way you do everything. And it's just so much about what you write about. It's like we're told that like the traditional marriage is the only way to be happy, that, you know, you, you find the, the person, you have the kids, you get the mortgage in whatever order. And that you have to do it that way and the same kind of applies to to jobs and that sort of success as well is that you have to like go 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 I mean you were massively go 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 going in your 30s I mean like massive overachiever or or crazy work ethic whichever way we look at it yeah in my 20s and in my 30s it might have seemed that way but I was floundering behind the scenes for sure I moved to LA when I was 29 because I came out to make a show for Channel 4 and I made that show for Channel 4 and then for the next few years I stayed here presuming I was going to get another series and ended up not getting that second series and it was awful it was awful. I just kept losing work. I wasn't getting any work. I was so sad. I just did not know how to kickstart it again. And also quite proud and didn't want to go home. Um, And then it was a year Mm. later. So I'd been here for a year. So the first six months were great. I was filming my series. The next six months were awful. But I'd signed up to this apartment and um, signed a lease for another year and spent all my money on vintage furniture. But I really wasn't getting any work and I couldn't work for another production company out here. I could only work for that one and they didn't have any work for me. And then so I was having to go home anyway, blah, blah, blah. Miserable, miserable. Got together with Chris about a year later um, around the time that he did Bridesmaids and just, I mean, just set off into the atmosphere yeah and um which was great luckily I've never wanted to act well I have did used to but I don't want to act at all and so there was no competition but it was definitely like oh well one of you is making it and one of you is absolutely losing it. it was it was just a sad time for me which I regret enormously because I wish I just enjoyed it more but about two years after that I got offered my first book deal for Paper Airplanes and Goose, which ended up being the sequel. And I almost feel like I wrote my way out of that problem. I realized that TV industry just didn't want me. And by the end, I didn't want it either. And I still don't want it. And so that was a kind of relief to shed that. And then I just wrote and wrote and wrote. So it might have looked like I was having a very productive time, but I was definitely... It just felt like a scramble. The particular moment I'm thinking about is probably around about the time your eldest was born yeah and you had you had the fashion business and then you set up choose love yes what became the charity that became choose love the refugee charity and you were writing books and you had column so now I'm in so yes so now I'm in my late 30s when I was around 35 things started to change I got pregnant I launched a clothing line and I signed my first like big adult book deal and so I was seven months pregnant with my first child signed my book deal and launched my business on the same day. I had that real nothing's gonna hold me back when I've had this baby vibe about me. And um, and then the baby came and I was like, oh my, oh wow, oh wow. Okay, this is quite a lot more work than I thought it was gonna be. In my first three months of having my first kid, I was literally on my bed with my baby on my boob, my cat by my side always, my laptop on my lap and my phone on just begging investors for money, desperately Instagramming, trying to get people to buy my dresses, swap the baby over to the other boob, 
call another investor and beg them for money, call my accountant and have a nervous breakdown. I set up my business because oh, I love dresses. I'm starting so... to feel physically sick. I know it was. It was really stressful. Luckily, I had a lovely baby and the motherhood side of it was the easiest part. I felt very, very lucky. I found that bit the least, most stressful part. I loved my baby. He was sleepy. He was hungry. I felt great. And all of that part of it was absolutely lovely. The Cows, my book was due four months after I gave birth to him. I kind of had this fantasy because of JK Rowling that the baby would be on a bouncer on the floor and I would write a novel. And that just is not what happens. (laughs) And um, about five months after he was born, it was Chris actually that said, we need to get some childcare. You need some childcare. You know, otherwise you're never going to be able to do any of this stuff. And so he was the one who put the ads on care.com and found our lovely nanny, Mary. And when she arrived, I was like, well, I'll do all this and I'll do all this. She goes, no, I'll do it. Go to work. And I got myself an office and I went and wrote the cows. That was one down. But meanwhile, the business is still happening and it was the hardest thing I've ever done. I don't regret doing it, but it was so hard. It was me and one assistant who'd never done anything in fashion before in her life. We were trying to work it out together. I didn't take any advice. I did it all wrong. My dresses were lovely, but way too expensive. And it was just really hard. And I had then spent every penny that I had ever made and put that into the business and lost it I was now getting investment and losing it and I was just like this is an absolute shit show it's a mess it's a mess it's a mess and it took me until I was pregnant with Valentine two years later and when I was seven months pregnant with him I just walked into the living room and I said to Chris um, I'm going to close the business tomorrow I'm done I can't do this I can't do that with another baby I just want to enjoy it and then I gave myself six months maternity leave with him which was amazing <laughs> radical yeah radical so all of the things that you'd achieve what was it that made you feel like actually I need to step away from some of this this is not working realizing that by doing everything it was making me not do anything very well and I felt like I was failing so I had my t- TV career and then to maintain a t- TV career you have to remain desirable to the TV industry and I, I hated that battle of always needing to be relevant I just I hated it it consumed me for a while mm. and then I was like fuck this it's like why am I like begging and desperate for this thing that doesn't actually bring me that much joy however writing is my safe place I'm so confident I love it I've been able to write myself out of problems my whole life it's therapeutic sometimes I write and no one will ever read what I've written and that's the point I use it as a as a way to express myself to myself and to the public and to my friends and family I love writing and when I had the business and the babies I just felt like writing was the thing that was really suffering and I had another book to write so lucky and I was I'm just not going to feel that way that I felt I think I pulled the cows off and loved it in the end but it was it was so hard it was so so hard and I I always tear my hair out and hate myself when I'm writing a book but that was like next level I just thought I, I finally thought I've got the best book deal I've ever had and I'm just gonna fail and I hated that feeling I, I like to feel like I'm doing things well I do like to achieve and so when I let the business go and all I had to concentrate on with my babies and writing everything was just oh fell into place I was like I don't need to do everything but I think it was a um you know a hangover from my very high achieving 20s and then my terrible early 30s and just feeling that I I had to take every opportunity I had to keep working but I think one thing you learn the older that you get the more space you have 
the more you achieve. The more clear you can make your head, the better you will be at the things that matter. And it took me a a long time to realize that, but I'm then I say no to more things now. God, I think back to myself in my early 30s, I wouldn't have said no to anything. I was the face of moist toilet tissue. I was like, I'll do it all. (laughs) I'll do it all. Just pay me, pay me and don't make me feel like I'm failing. I just need to not keep me up, keep me up, keep me up. I, I would have said yes to everything. And now it's like my poor agent. I feel bad all the time. She's like, this opportunity's come in. I'm like, it will just distract me from the things that matter. You know, when I'm between books or I'm not going to get my advance, you know, you get your advance in stages. If I haven't got a payment coming, I just have to take a different job. And you might see me do some hashtag ad thing on Instagram or, oh, you know, I've just done something else because I need to get paid. But that's very different from the feeling of just needing to be constantly above the level of, you know, mid success. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think some people strive their whole life to get to that point where you feel more confident saying no, because I think I was the same. I was probably well into my 40s before I, I realized that I could say no. And that what was the worst thing that could happen? I might piss someone off. You kind of do piss people off, but it's also incredibly powerful. Because the honest answer would be, I could do this for you and I would do this for you. But if I do, it means I'm going to struggle with doing something else that's really important to me. That's, you know, what's going into someone's head behind a no. And as I've received so many no's, I am now very confident to say no to people. And if someone wants to get all shirty with me because they're offended by that, then they're just not looking at the bigger picture of how much people take on. So I like to say no, and I really respect it. I really respect it when people say no to me. It doesn't mean I'm not gutted, but I do I do understand it. Oh, totally. To kind of go back to the whole, the stereotype thing, which is what underpins Cat Lady, do you feel like throughout your life, you've been kind of subject to other people's stereotypes? Do you mean what people think of me? Yeah. Yes, definitely. And I still struggle with it sometimes. Like people say, oh, they never read any of my books because they just assumed it was like fluffy chiclet. Or, oh you know, and I, and I, and that's one, when it comes to my writing, it's the only one I get defensive about. The other thing is, you know, I had a kind of mediocre TV career and then it kind of dissipated and then I married a movie star. Oh, right. And not very often, I have to say, since I left Twitter, I don't see any of this because Instagram for me is a much nicer place. But on Twitter, I'd get a lot of those kind of comments of like, your books only sell because of who you're married to and I'm like well even if that's the case my husband was still a brilliant decision of mine so I will take the credit (laughs) if that that is why I'm successful I'm still being this wife I'm still working every day at this marriage I'm still very much this is an active um, you know good choice in my life so if that contributes to my success and who I am publicly then it's all good so I, I try to be pragmatic about those stereotypes who did I do an interview with once I think it was the Metro and some absolutely ghastly which is a word I'm trying to use a lot more now I'm over 40 by the way um it's a very kaftan word it goes very well with kaftan it's very margot absolutely I love it yeah it's very margot it's very much my auntie who raised me she would use it as just very very much part of her vernacular as if it was a normal word and so it took me a long time but I'm there so I do try and throw ghastly into a few conversations (laughs) um but oh yeah it's ghastly journalist he referred to me at some point in the interview as a Hollywood wife and he was being insulting and because he was being insulting I got defensive and said I'm not a Hollywood wife and he said you literally are as I came away from the interview I was like I'm quite proud of being a Hollywood wife because it's, you know, it comes with its challenges in many ways. And I'm really proud of my relationship and my marriage and my wonderful husband, my brilliant children. And for someone to say that 
that's almost some kind of negative thing because of my husband's job. It's just bizarre. And I, I long for someone to say that to me again so that I can give my 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 answer now rather than go, I would watch any mean to me. <laughs> Which is essentially, is essentially what I said. Well, that's fair enough. It's that also, it's just that idea, isn't it, that you're only, that's all you are. I remember interviewing Julia Cameron, who wrote The Artist's Way, about when she met Martin Scorsese, and I know it's Martin Scorsese, but he wasn't Martin Scorsese then in quite the same way. Mm. And she was, you know, a really, really successful journalist, breaking amazing stories in Washington, marries Martin Scorsese and moves to LA. And exactly that, you are no longer a journalist or any of the things that you were before. You're no longer a successful writer. You're literally just a Hollywood wife, just. It's true. You know, you'll see the odd article written um, about Chris. Oh, there was one that the Daily Mail did once that I thought was quite funny actually this is going to sound really sad but actually it did make me laugh his wife dawn in brackets whose mother died when she was seven and then they just carried <laughs> Sorry on to and no it's okay i thought it was hilarious and i was like wow after all the things that i've achieved that was what you went with and then people they feel that they have to say um in articles they'll say things like oh and his wife dawn who is successful in her own right which is a nice thing to say, but almost like you have to tell people that the woman is successful in her own right, rather than just say his wife, Dawn, who is an author. Yeah. You know, and there's just this kind of, it's just, a, it's it's strange, but that's got a lot better now. I mean, Chris and I have been together for a hundred years and we're, you know, well-established as a couple. So generally stuff like that doesn't happen so much anymore. Just the way that they would kind of mention the wife is just very kind of secondary and something that's happened in our relationship in the last couple of years which also took me a while and also I think is an age thing as you really get your claws into like family life and how you manage career and um all of that stuff obviously my husband earns a lot more money than me and that was something that I just felt not bad about but just in the grand scheme of our life, my my money that I bring in is pittance, really. So I just kind of really wish that I could level out on that. But the reality of my job is that it won't compare to no. what a movie star gets paid. So that's okay. It's a kind of piece with that. But I had this really great experience last year. Well, actually, it was not a good experience, but it was a good experience afterwards. So we went to Toronto for six months in 2021 for Chris to shoot a movie and usually I stay put with the kids and he does the back and forth and um, weirdly harder on him than it is on me and the boys because all of that travel is hard. And he, he would much rather be home with us. But because of COVID, because there was two weeks isolation on either side, we all had to go. And it was a really hard four months, four or five months, because Toronto was in total, total shutdown. We didn't know anybody. It was Baltic outside. So even to go outside, you couldn't go inside anywhere except a supermarket, not even a bakery, a coffee shop nothing I had no friends the house was nice and comfortable but it was brown (laughs) everything and it was brown and I kind of just sat I'd also got my first ever script to write a movie and I was supposed to be doing that but I went a next level of brain dead and a bit mad and I gave the money back and didn't do the job which I've never done in my life made me feel like total shit but I just I just couldn't and didn't have it in me to do it so that that's a good example of like it tells you kind of the state of mind that I was in when I was there. I was just I was also on a really massive diet because I was trying to lose the 15 pounds that I'd put on during COVID. <laughs> and I wasn't drinking, which is never me at my best, but I'm not drinking. So God, so you just piled all the shit on top of each other. And <laughs> yes, it was just a really it was just a really kind of tough four months. But 
financially, obviously, it was great because Chris got paid after a year of not working through the pandemic. And for the first time ever, I really felt like we both earned that paycheck. Usually up until that point, I had always felt like it was Chris's money. And even though, you know, he's very generous and doesn't make me feel like it's not our money at all. I never felt like what he bought Mm. in was our money. And that job and you know what so I would have been 42 at the time and I was like Jesus it took me this long 13 years of this relationship being in my 40s and a mother of two to feel and understand that the only way he gets to do that job is because of what I'm doing with the kids or holding it all together it was an amazing liberating wonderful moment and I'm so pleased that I had it. And I don't know if I would have had it if it hadn't have been such an extreme four months that we'd had. But I now look at the next 40 years of like, we are so in it together on all of that now. When he gets a job and has to be away for three months, I feel like, right. And my job is, aside from my other actual job, to hold the fort here and do one of your jobs. Yeah. yeah, but it's but it's it's manageable because I work from home. I'm absolutely able to drop the kids at school and pick them up. It's just and I get a full day's writing so they can do after school care. It's all completely manageable. And I love that that's my role that I pay in sustaining the life that we love and Chris being able to do this work. Um, but it, it took a long time. It's just these things. I just think there's all these little things that just you struggle with for so long. And then you just as you get older and just set your feet kind of firmer into the ground, think little things like that, not little things, that's actually a huge thing, just click and make the future seem so much calmer. I just think it's, I think it's to do with value, isn't it? And the way that some things are valued and some things aren't. You know, I, I am not in that situation and don't have kids, but it took me, I mean, I think I was probably 50 before I realized that I could still have a value if I wasn't like successful in terms of what, you know, external views of what success was. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend, but what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I feel like... The way that people speak to women is so different, but I know that 
you know, 20 years ago, if a woman didn't have kids, she'd just be getting comments constantly. Do you feel that people are more respectful of it or understanding of it, realise that women can not always have to be mothers to be fulfilled? Or do you still get lots of that? One of the many wonderful things about being older is that all of that stops. So it stopped probably in my early 40s, because it used to be, you know, all manner of people would be asking me when I'd have kids, because we got married when I was 26. And I've got a stepson like Mia. And Mm -hmm. Um, it was like it was just like one of those things was expected of you and people thought nothing of asking when you're going to have kids when you're going to have kids when you're Mm going to have kids and kind of having some sort of ownership over that decision and I think I mean I've spoken to other people about this and I I think there is still a sense of okay so you're in the kind of child free pile but there is still um, a status tier in the, the child free pile and it's okay to not have children if you tried and couldn't right but if you chose not to or you chose not to put yourself through tons of IVF yeah then that's kind of a bit a bit less understandable a bit less right. okay you know it doesn't really affect me anymore because I'm I'm too old and that is a great thing about mm-hmm. I mean it's one of the best things about being about being ancient <laughs> <laughs> you're right you can see the um the ranks of where people's sympathy cuts off where when a woman people don't know what to do with a woman who decided not to have children said most of my friends are from kind of 38 to 40 to 50 I feel that compared to what my mum would have known or my gran would have known I've got so many friends in their late 40s who don't have kids and many of them have made that decision and just never faltered and um I know I've got two but it wouldn't occur to me now to suggest that those women aren't fulfilled or that they've missed out on something (laughs) No, no, no. But then I've got two small kids, so I'm just relentlessly jealous of anyone that doesn't have them. Yeah, totally. I mean, one of your your hallmarks in your, in your writing is that you always absolutely go there. You absolutely go there in one particular scene in Cat Lady, which uh, it's just like literally, I was kind of like almost sat there with my legs crossed the whole way <laughs> yeah. through, like howling with laughter. Is there anywhere you won't go? Is there anywhere that's too far? Not in fiction, no. I always think, you know, what what a person has in their head compared to what the world sees of them. You know, we're born with a natural editor, most of us. You edit constantly what comes out of your mouth and how you behave. When you're writing a novel in first person and you're in someone's head, you can't pretend that thoughts don't or things don't happen, whether they actually are doing it by action. And obviously, when you're writing a novel, it's way more fun when they actually do the thing that's in their head. <laughs> um but you can't pretend that people are squeaky clean in there and don't have um, kind of crazy, wayward, inappropriate, terrible thoughts. And so in terms of that, I don't think there would ever be a situation. I think I'll always write in first person. And I don't think I could ever shy away from anything. I mean, I wonder where I'm yet to go. But um, in terms of sex, especially, I, I wouldn't shy away from anything. And I really try in those sex scenes to be like, I mean, a lot of people have had those nights which just like weird, awkward, uncomfortable, like try and explain what happened last night to somebody. I don't know how I got into the situation I was in last night, but he was putting a Sharpie into my anus. That's what was happening. By the way, I'm <laughs> that's what happens to me. And not, that has not been an experience I've had. But, yeah. you know, you only have to like drink with your girlfriends and go, come on, tell me the weirdest sexual encounter you've ever had to realize that in fiction, we can't pretend these things don't happen. So I love I love going there. And so very often, so very often when I've pushed the boat out and really said something or done something 
I've heard it somewhere. It's based on some kind of truth. And I really yeah. try and do that because then when someone says to me that would never happen or that's not realistic, I'm like, well, actually, I know for a fact that did happen because life is fucking weird and weird things happen and people are very odd. But that's so often the case, isn't it? When somebody, I mean, I've definitely had my editor say to me, you've got to take that out because it would never happen. And you're like, no. mm, it, it did. It actually did happen. Yeah. You know? But you know, when you hear all the time, there's mad stories where, you know, two identical twins who were split up at birth and then taken to other sides of the world end up working in the same primary school. And then you'll read that story or one of those. And you, yeah, I always, yeah. I always read those stories and I'm like, I don't think I could ever be that cliche or that obvious, but mad stuff really happens. And when you're writing fiction, if you need it all to tie up nicely with those two identical twins working in the same preschool and that's how they meet again and someone says to you that would never happen just troll the internet or read newspaper clippings because weird stuff happens all the time so I think you have to well I really just try and go just push myself into those situations and never worry about people thinking that would never happen because anything can happen when you're writing do you ever think about the person reading it over your shoulder or do you just go for it I do and I think about them and I want them to have the best time and my promise is that I'm going to try and make you believe this story and for something juicy to happen every couple of pages that's going to make you want to keep reading the story. I read a lot, but I am one of those awful people that gives up on books. Well, that's not awful. That's common sense. Yeah. If I'm not into it, like I'm I'm reading one at the moment and um, and I'm enjoying it. Sometimes I'll come to a page where I'm just like, God, that was a beautiful piece of writing, but I literally have no idea what's happening. But I'm keeping it going because it's my book club book this month. But I, if I've just picked up a book for fun and I don't have to read it. I give up on books all the time. And one thing, if you look at my Goodreads um, reviews of so many of my books, one thing that you'll see repeated a lot is, I don't know why I kept reading because I wasn't enjoying it. And I'm like, my work oh my here God. is done. I, but I love those reviews because <laughs> yeah. something is making them read on. And I can get to the end of a book and I'm like, I don't I didn't necessarily enjoy that book. I think there's loads of flaws in it, but something kept me reading. And that to me is a good book. Like just to be engaged is something that I, if that's all I've done for somebody and um, engage them in the story, then I feel like I've done my job. And luckily I get enough reviews that are good and positive about what I've written that that, that makes those ones kind of fine. But I'm like, something kept you going. And that's that makes me that's very amazing. happy. I can't believe you, be, you read Goodreads reviews. Do you read Amazon reviews as well? I love reading my reviews. They really help me. They really help me with the next one. You know, when someone, I think it was the cows, a lot of people were saying the ending just feels rushed. That was a really good note. And I'm really glad that I knew that. And I try not to rush my ending so much. I think I do. I think it's something that I do. I go through so much writing it and then, oh, I've got to the end and I just, you know, wrap it up. And that is like, that's something I continue to try and work on. But I wouldn't necessarily know that if I hadn't read those reviews, because it's not like anyone who likes me says that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you're, you're way too young so far. But how do you think you're going to approach menopause and being as somebody put it the other day, a grown ass woman? Um, It's just weird, because you don't know what you're in for. Mm. Like I am, I've had like chronic abdominal pain for most of my life due to undiagnosed, but quite terrible endometriosis. And so last year, I was kind of queued up to get a hysterectomy this year, which I ended up not needing because I gave up gluten and it totally stopped the pain. (laughs) Such a simple thing. Oh Oh my God. Anyway, I've had issues with gluten all my life. And it went away when I got pregnant both times and I could honestly mainline baguettes and eat bowls of pasta and it was nothing. And then when Valentine was about two, it came back worse than ever. And I thought it was 
you know, my womb and then realized that it was gluten that would aggravate whatever else, whatever endometriosis going on. I think it just swelled me up. Anyway, this is gross and not the question that you asked. No, no, it's fascinating. I love this. Anything gynecological, I love it. Yeah. I love it too. And so my, I've got this kind of very harsh Russian um, gynecologist out here, very unglamorous really says it like it is, who loves doing hysterectomies. <laughs> She's like, they're like, snap on the marigolds. This is my speciality. She was like, I don't even know where I just yank it out your vag type chat. And um, so I was all set up for this kind of, okay, this is where I'm at. Definitely don't want any more babies. I'm going to do this. And um, and then I gave up gluten. I really don't need to have a hysterectomy at all. But it did get me thinking about this kind of, you know, next stage of things shutting down and whatever. I think with menopause, I'm nervous because I've got friends who've, you know, had a terrible time and I've got other friends who didn't even notice it was happening. And I just think I'm, yeah, totally. there's certain things I'm wondering if I'm starting to notice, but I don't think I'm getting too many, too many symptoms yet. Um, I've got an IUD, so my periods don't really happen anyway. So I've got no idea if that's happening really. Um, but I do feel like I smell different and I keep meaning to Google, is that a symptom of early menopause? And that sounds weird, but I feel like my mm. sweat, if I am to sweat, which I do a lot here because it's very hot, I feel like my sweat smells different. It's not particularly unpleasant. It's just a new smell. And I keep thinking like, that doesn't smell like me. Mm. And I wonder, and I keep meaning to find out if that's a thing or if it's just, I don't know. <laughs> I just smell different from what I used yeah. to. Mm. Um, Interesting. But so far, no, I haven't heard that. But No, but so far, nothing has really happened. I feel like I'm looking forward to the other side of it. It's great. Yes. It's great over here. I know. I'm really. And so that kind of makes me, I'm not particularly nervous about it. I hope it's not traumatic. And I hope that my experience with pain isn't a sign that things are going to be really hard. I had really great experiences of getting pregnant and childbirth, no complications at all. There's nothing that makes me think I'm going to have a bad time, but I might do. So yeah, I feel I feel just hopeful about it. What will be, will be. How is being a 40-something woman in La La Land? I mean, it's great. I want to tell you that my life is very glamorous. I'm surrounded by younger people all the time. That's just very much not the case. I think when you surround yourself by people like you, you've, you don't feel mm. older and, you know, like everyone else is beautiful. So we, I'm very rarely in a situation where my life here is different from how it would be anywhere else. I don't feel a particular pressure. I, you know, my TV career was all kind of, I'm, I was successful because I could, you know, turn my belly into a donut shape. I, there was this clip of me doing that. And <laughs> I remember people saying, that's why you're going to be successful. And then, you know, my weight's gone up and down. I've been skinny, I've been bigger, and I've never really felt any pressure for anybody else to look a certain way. And I still don't, but that I'm a size 10 and I do my best to stay a size 10 as much as I can. That take I have to exercise a lot more than I used to. Yeah. yeah, I'm a real foodie, but I do watch what I eat. I don't dye my hair yet, but I do get I do get greys and my hairdresser like paints them. Really? Yeah, and paints my greys. It's such a glossy brown. Oh, I know it's good, but I did it went lighter this summer, so you can see that it's like it's grown and it's actually went lighter in the sun in London, which is quite nice. But I, I use the spray every morning, so I just spray like it darker when it needs it. But so far, oh, right. so far I haven't had to dye my hair. I do get Botox now, a little bit here. You see these things that you kind of thought, oh, I'll never do that. And then I turned 40 and I was like, yes, but this part of my face has sunk and I always look tired. So I am <laughs> going to do that. And I think once you start getting things like Botox, 
you realize that no one under 40 should judge what a woman over 40 does with their looks because you just don't know. You know, I used to say I would never do that. I'll always just embrace myself. And then I, you know, my 40s, a lot happened. Like my, one of my best friends died and then there was a pandemic and then my cat died and then my dog died. And I just, I just, things get happening. I did a lot of crying between 2020 and 2021, like more crying than I've ever done in my life. And you could see it in my face. And I was like, am I just left with this now? No. you know, three little injections around my eyes. And suddenly I was like, oh, I just got the last year back. Not trying to look 30. I just want to look 42 and not 43. So stuff like that has changed. But but it's really, in terms of the pressure of being in LA, I don't feel like I'm doing it for anyone else. Like my husband is like, just don't bother. And I'm, so I'm not doing it for him. My friends don't expect it of me and half of them don't even have it. But I just really like, I like it. I like to feel good. Like I'm absolutely the kind of person it would be very, very rare for you to see me without my eye makeup on. Like I, if all I'm doing one day is the school run, I will do full hair and eye makeup to do the school run. Really? Just for the school run? Yep. I don't get out of the car. No one sees me. I'm not doing it for anybody. I just feel, I get up in the morning, I put on something cute and I do my hair and makeup and I just always have and I just think I always will. Is that pressure from someone? I don't feel any pressure. I just like walking past the mirror and seeing my dark eye makeup. Yeah. <laughs> really like it yeah because you don't want that thing where well maybe you do want it but when you saw occasionally I remember walking past a shop window and my hair as you can see has kind of faded and it's gone from being like quite bright ginger Mm. to quite blondie at the front I just remember walking past a, a shop window and glancing into it and hadn't bothered to put any makeup on and I used to be like I wouldn't leave the house without eye makeup I'm not quite so good at that now and there was just this, like, it was just all beige. Right. It was just so beige. I was totally beige. The hair, the face, I just thought that's, no, we can't have that. I don't want to be beige when I walk past a mirror. It's like, can't be coping with that. Yeah. Well, it's just, it's really, it's really nice, especially working from home and especially when you write and you really don't see many people over the course of the day. When people say, oh, I write from home and I just, you know, wear my pyjamas all day, I, that doesn't do anything for me. That doesn't motivate me to sit at my desk and have a productive day. Like, I really have to get up and get dressed. And that gives me energy. And exactly what you're saying, if I'm like, if I go for a wee and catch myself in the mirror, I'll be like, oh, you look good. Excellent. Carry on. <laughs> it definitely, I, I know this God is such a cliche and obviously it's not entirely for myself, but I definitely like a lot of my appearance I do for myself it's not coming from a pressure from anyone else before we go to questions that I always ask at the end I just at one point you said there's nothing of you and Mia but there there is at least one thing and that's caftans they had to be in and cats caftans and cats I I I I, yes I love cats so much and I love caftans so much I love cats. the discovery of caftans is a very post 40 fashion pleasure I think because you've always been into kind of retro-y vintage I, look haven't you but caftans I have new... but this ginormous square of fabric that is so glamorous and so brilliant and so stylish I think but where what's going underneath just is doesn't matter is a great thing for someone like me because my weight does I try I try really hard to stay at 140 pounds but that fluctuates up and just below all the time So caftans means I've always got something to wear. I always feel amazing no matter where my weight is sitting. I feel really special in them and I feel quite brave in them because I think women who are willing to do kind of fabulous, simple at the same time, just they exude a confidence 
whenever I see anyone, like an older woman especially, wearing something like a kaftan, I just think it's the height of glamour and self-confidence and self-assurance. I absolutely love it. So I have lots of them and I wear them a lot. And even though um, very often when I'm getting ready for a night out, I'll put something else on. I'm like, no, I'm just going to go with the platform shoes or flat shoes. Never a stiletto again, ever in my life, ever. I wouldn't do it to myself. Oh, God, Um, no way. And and then um, just a big square of great fabric. (laughs) (laughs) I love them. And I start now, if if someone's got a big birthday, I always buy my friends caftans. I'm like, come, join me. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Yes, join the caftan club. Um, right. Questions I always ask. What's your emotional age? My emotional age, I'd say it's probably 36. And I actually answered a question, how old are you? With 36, not very long ago, which was mortifying. Um, I think it's 36. I had my first baby two days after I turned 36. My mum died when she was 36. Everything had been going so badly until I was about 35. By the time I was 36, I was really happily married. I felt like, you know, things were looking better. I'd had books published. It all just seemed to start coming together around that time. And so I would like to just, I would like to have just stopped there really, but with my baby. But I feel like that, that's where I stay. And even now, sometimes, you know, when I say I'm 43, that just doesn't sound right, but 36 sounds great. But saying I'm not ashamed of being 43. I don't have any issues with getting older, but I um, I can't believe I'm a 43 year old woman. It, does, it is strange. I can't believe I've got, a, I've got a 45 year old sister, which is the bit that I just can't get my head around at all. Oh God, no. I mean, I'm quite happy to have a birthday that starts with a five, but a five is a big, big number. Yeah. I don't know. I I feel like there's so much less fear of aging now. I'm sure some people feel differently, but I've never had a fear of aging. I think because my mum died when I was so young, I've just, it's all a bonus. It's all great. My auntie is my hero. She's this unbelievable 86 year old woman who I'm just like, I'm aiming for that. Not, you know, whatever I'm seeing on TV. I'm aiming to be her and live her life. That's the importance to making sure that, you know, young girls keep their role models within their sphere. Because trying to be someone that is like way beyond what you could ever achieve, that's just soul destroying. Yeah, you're just setting yourself yeah. up to fail, aren't you? Um, give us a book recommendation. I just read Mel C's autobiography because I'm interviewing her this week here in LA. Yes. And I absolutely loved it. And Back to kind of role models. I don't think that women in the public eye should have to be fucking role models. It's something that annoys me so much. Like, why do men get to be rock stars and women have to be role models? I've never understood this at all. And what the Spice Girls were, were felt like our rock stars. And, you know, unlike our icons like Madonna, who came before, where we could love them, we could actually have been one of the Spice Girls. And so I'm reading this book now, remembering how they made me feel in the 90s. They gave me so much energy to get off Guernsey and go and achieve my dreams. And it really was. They put a fire in my belly and made the life that they were looking very successful. However, you read Mal's story and it was too much to also have to be a role model. She was struggling terribly with an eating disorder and felt so guilty that she was lying and hiding this from her young fans who were looking up to her. But I just love how honest she was in it. And it's got everything you want from a Spice Girls book. It's got all the juicy Spice Girls gossip, but also she's written beautifully about mental health. And I think it will be really helpful and hopeful for a lot of people. And she's just so lovely and everyone should read it. Sold. Um, What advice would you give younger women? Just bloody wear it. I feel like when you're young and you feel you can feel insecure, you can you can really hold yourself back. And sometimes 
I would see myself try to not be seen. I'd go from one extreme to the other of like walking into a room doing jazz hands, making sure everyone noticed me to just being like, oh, I feel insecure today. And I just wish on those days I'd just worn the kaftan or worn the big outfit. Like, mm. let your clothes speak for you and go for it. Have fun with what you wear. And I know that might sound quite vacuous in what would you say to a younger person, but I think there is such an opportunity in style. And I don't mean fashion in the fashion industry and, you know, being told what to wear and what's trendy. I couldn't give a shit about any of that. I just mean you expressing yourself through what you wear and treating your shell as an extension of what you are. I think it's liberating and really fun to play around with clothes. So just bloody wear the thing that you want to wear. Allowing for the fact that you've uh, just said you don't think women should have to be role models. Who's your old bird one? (laughs) Oh, who's my old bird one? Um, Oh, my auntie, because she's just Epic. But my auntie is my absolute role model in my life. I just, she's, I love the way that she's lived her life. She's 86. She's still walking on the cliffs every morning with a dog, even though it hurts her feet. She's just lives good life. Dawn French, I love because I love how down to earth she is. I um, met her a while ago. We went for dinner and I just loved our conversation and I loved how serious and on life she is, whilst also just being such a ridiculous silly Billy. And I just think that is, (laughs) I just love silly Billies and she is just, she makes me laugh. She makes me like belly laugh. And also her life advice is really good. Uh, what's your superpower? Cooking and, yeah, and bringing yes. people together over food. That's the thing that I am extremely passionate about and do as often as I can. And nothing makes me happier than like slogging away in the kitchen for three hours, putting it all on the table and watching everyone dig in and chat and have a good time. I'm quite envious I'm a lousy cook. <laughs> Get Jamie Oliver's new One Pound uh, Wonder book. It's easy. You can't go wrong. I'll let you know. Um, and how many fucks do you give? I I give loads of fucks. I give loads of fucks, unfortunately. And I feel like it's people say, oh, I don't give any fucks. There's things that as I've got older, I give less fucks about. Like I don't need to walk into every room and have everyone in it notice me and like me. I used to desperately want to be on TV. I couldn't give a fuck if I was ever on TV ever again. But I, I give loads of fucks about um, the things that I do and the things that I'm passionate about. I want people to really like my books. I can take bad reviews and do it, but I want people to finish my books and I want to always be able to write them. I give fucks about people thinking I'm funny. I really want people to think I'm funny. It really matters to me. Funny more than anything else. If I was to die tomorrow, I would hope people would say she was really funny and I'd be really happy with that. I give fucks about the way that I look. I do try hard to, like I said, to remain able to fit into the vintage dresses that I've collected over the years. I very rarely leave the house without my eye makeup on. So for me to say I don't give any fucks would just not be true. I do. Um, (laughs) But I do definitely, I'd say until like my late 30s, my need to be liked was exhausting. And I don't really have that anymore. I don't really have Mm. that. I really don't care. I care that my readers like what I'm doing and that the people that I I you know, I rely on and the people I love like me. But beyond that, trying to like be um, noticed and seen and accepted by a massive audience, couldn't give a fuck. And I used to think that was the most important thing. And for anyone listening, how did you, any advice for like shaking that off? How did you shake off that needing to be liked? How did I shake off the need to be liked? I don't know if it's a deliberate thing. I do just think it's one of the benefits of getting older. You know, my kids, my friends, my husband, my family, my readers are really all that matters. So I guess the advice would be to make the circle around you solid. Work on the 
relationships that you can work on rather than the ones that don't matter and that you can't change the way that people think of you it's like weirdly this is such an age thing the smaller your life is the better relationships you have with less people the more satisfying friendships relationships everything is and I used to want to be friends with everybody and now I'm very happy with you know working on the friendships and relationships that I've got we haven't even talked about female friendship and that that would be here another hour if we started on that but I think that is that is so true that I have to be friends with everyone I always hated giving parties because I always felt like I didn't know enough people to look really popular or worse that I invite them and they wouldn't come and I think that is, you're so right, it's so an age thing that you think actually know the five, ten, however many people that I know and like and care about and love me. They're the ones that matter. It doesn't matter if I haven't got 89 people to come to my birthday party. Yeah, although it's great when that happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's how, I, that's how I met Chris. I was at my 30th birthday party. Oh, he asked me out on Facebook that day. I'd never actually met him. And I was so nervous that no one would come to my party out here because I didn't know many people. And I said, um, I can't go on a date with you because I'm going out with somebody else. But will you please come to my party and bring all your friends? <laughs> that's how I met my husband. <laughs> <laughs> that's a brilliant story. A completely unassociated to anything. Where can we get the cat lady jumper? Oh, from my new Joni collection. So I'm designing clothes for a company called Joni, who are a lovely Manchester-based company who do their best to be as sustainable as they can be and keep their prices down. And um, they did a very special Cat Lady jumper for me, which I will be wearing a lot. And anybody that wears the Cat Lady jumper to any of my events that I'm doing, I don't know what I'll do, but I'll think of something special. (laughs) (laughs) I will put the link in the show notes for anybody who wants to. Thank you so much, Dawn. It's been lovely to talk to you. And while we've been talking, I have vanished into a cave because it's got dark here I literally... it's very mysterious <laughs> thanks for having me thank you thank you for listening you can hear a new episode of the shift each tuesday wherever you get your podcasts if you like what you hear please do rate review and follow because it really does help other people find us and if you'd like to support the shift further please consider becoming a member of our community find out more at steady.media forward slash the shift Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.